0: Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Good morning. Uh, Pastor John is out, and uh, he's feeling okay. I think the the message has gone out enough that, yeah, he came down with a positive test for COVID, but uh, they've had some pretty minor symptoms so far, him and Kathy. But we continue to pray for all those among us that are uh, in those different degrees of suffering at this time. But uh, I hope that everyone still had a great Christmas season with family and friends. I love Christmas. I love getting together with uh, loved ones and um, maybe just it's the gifts or it's the playing of games. We always get some new games at Christmas time and get to experiment with that with the family. And I don't know if it's the food. It's probably the food. But I love uh, Christmas. And here's some good news, especially to all the kids out there listening. It's only 363 more days until Christmas next year. Ooh, I can't wait, right? I can't wait for Christmas 2021. But you know that expression, I can't wait. It's not like I have much of an option, is it? You know, I, I can't change how fast time goes. I can't change the number of days. I mean, I could maybe try and celebrate Christmas in February, but I'd be alone and that would not work out very well. There's nothing I can really do but wait, right? It's kind of out of my hands. But I think what I mean and what most of us mean when we say that expression, I can't wait, what we're saying is I don't want to wait. I don't like to wait. Most of us do not like to wait on much of anything, do we? I don't know anyone that's planned a vacation to, let's say, Disney World or Worlds of Fun, Adventureland, or the County Fair, and said, hey, what's the busiest day that I can plan my vacation? Because I love waiting in lines. So if all the rides had multiple hours worth of lines, that's the day I want to go and just spend my time inching forward minute by minute waiting to get on that 30-second experience. I was actually talking with the Risto family, and I think they're out there watching, but Victoria waited over two hours in line at Disney World to take one quick picture with Elsa. No thank you. No thank you. Am I waiting in a line for two hours to take a picture with a college student dressed up in a costume? But it's just not worth waiting sometimes, is it? Waiting is difficult. Think of some things that you've had to wait for. Maybe somebody coming home for the holidays. You've waited to see them for months or possibly even years. Maybe you're waiting for that promotion or the new job to come your way. Maybe you're waiting for that baby to be born. You've had the positive test. You know you're pregnant and now you're months away from being able to say hello to your little child. Maybe it's not a good kind of waiting, but a bad kind of waiting. You're waiting for that diagnosis from the doctor. You're waiting to hear the bad news, the bad test results. None of us like to wait. And maybe especially even kids, have you ever heard this expression? Wait till your father gets home. Have you ever heard that? Maybe heard that a time or two. Maybe just for example, You know, when you get upset and you kind of flip your shoes off and you take your shoe and you fling it real hard in your bedroom and out the window it goes into the backyard and there's shattered glass all over your bedroom floor and your bed. And then your mom says, wait till your father gets home and you sit and you contemplate life and you start to say, well, I've had a good run. You know, it's been a good time. while it lasted. You say goodbye to all of your toys And, uh, yeah, my mom's sitting in here. She's saying, you still owe me for that window? Uh, No, we don't like to wait. But you get the idea. Waiting is hard. And we've been doing a lot of waiting these last few months, haven't we? In fact, Bobby shared a prayer request, and he said it was okay that I share this. A couple weeks ago, when he was in kind of COVID jail, he prayed over Zoom, or he asked for the prayer request and said, Hey, I just want to wait better. It's hard waiting at home. It's hard sitting there. Like, you, you, maybe you're sick and you recovered. Or maybe you didn't feel any symptoms at all. But you have to do that kind of two-week quarantine. And you're just waiting, 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 not sure what to do. You feel like you're wasting time at certain points. And then at other points, you're feeling still really busy at home. And there's more projects than you have time for. And you feel guilty. And you're just Waiting. Well, throughout the Old Testament, as we've been looking in our Sunday school classes, people have been waiting for a long time. For centuries, prophets and kings and common people were waiting for the promised Messiah. Waiting for the Lord to enter into their lives. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. And so this morning, I want to look at a Christmas story that can speak to our waiting, to our not wanting to wait. And I think it can answer some of those questions. See, at Christmas, we often focus on shepherds and angels and wise men and Mary and Joseph and the animals in the stalls that Jesus is born with. But this morning, I want to look at the story of two additional, maybe not so common, not too expected uh, visitors that can speak to our waiting, named Simeon and Anna. And I know some people may pronounce her name Anna, but I had an Anna in youth group, and she spelled it the same way, so I've always said Anna. So Simeon and Anna. So if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Luke, chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 22. So Luke 2, 22. I will wait for you. See what I did there? Some of you got it. I've heard a few chuckles. So Luke 2, 22. Starts like this. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, him as Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's ask the Lord now for help in understanding and applying His Word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this story That is included in here for us. Two people who were waiting for your Messiah to come. Lord, may we learn from them. May we be changed by your word today. May we not just listen and ignore. But rather listen and be changed. Lord, to you belongs all glory and honor. May you be praised. For our time spent this morning. Amen. Well, here's what I think Simeon and Anna teach us about waiting. This is a message for us. It's a message for the tired, the broken, the hopeful, the faithful. To those who are waiting on the Lord. To all those who are within earshot of my voice and of their story. What Simeon and Anna want us to know is to wait no more. Jesus is here. He's here. He has come. Our Emmanuel, God with us. Salvation has arrived. So rejoice. So I have three points this morning. Point number one, rejoice. Point number two, rejoice. And point number three, Rejoice because Jesus is here. The waiting is over. So, point one, rejoice. Why should we rejoice? Rejoice because, as Simeon sees, Jesus is our comfort. Rejoice, Jesus is our comfort. See, Simeon, it tells us he was a faithful, righteous man living in Jerusalem. We don't really know a whole lot else about him. We don't know what his job was or if he made it a regular habit to go to the temple or what exactly he did or who he was or where he comes from. But we know he was faithful and trusted in the Lord. He had a faith like Abraham's faith. He had a faith that God would keep his promises to his people, the Israelites. He had faith that the prophets, when they spoke Many centuries before he was alive, he believed their word that a Messiah was coming. A Savior to come rescue his people from their enemies. Perhaps, and I'm conjecturing here, but perhaps Simeon would walk the streets of Jerusalem and recite some of the Psalms to himself. Recite maybe Psalm 2 and the promises Of a Messiah, Psalm 22, and what that Messiah would eventually go through. Perhaps Psalm 110, and just get more promises upon promises of the coming King. Maybe his main psalm as he walked the streets of Jerusalem, passing by Roman soldiers who were occupying their land. Maybe as he passed by some religious leaders who he knew were corrupt, or some kings and politicians that were messing with people's lives and oppressing his countrymen with high taxes and abuses. Maybe he walked by the unfaithful Fellow Israelites who started to question their own God, started to look elsewhere for answers, who gave up waiting long ago. Maybe he would quote Psalm 89 as a prayer, and he would say, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast Lord will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. And he would stop and he'd think, Lord, I don't see it yet. I don't see that promise to David yet, but I'll wait. I'll wait because I trust in you. I believe that you will answer that promise. I believe that you will come through. Maybe in my generation or maybe not. But Lord, you are faithful. Maybe you continue from Psalm 89. The heavens are yours, Lord. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. And he would say, Rome, I know you are strong, but Lord, I know you are stronger. Brokenness and sin I see your trickery. But Lord, I know you are wiser and I know what you can do. And then one day, at some point in Simeon's life, we're not really told when, the Holy Spirit came to him, came upon him and gave him a specific promise. A specific promise, not just this general promise that one day a Messiah will come, but gave Simeon that special news that within your lifetime you will see the promised Messiah. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that actually makes waiting harder, doesn't it? When you're just waiting in general, maybe standing in a long line where you don't even see the beginning, you know you're in it for the long haul. But sometimes at those amusement parks, they design those lines with these switchbacks. You think you're towards the front of the line, and then you turn the corner, and like, oh, oh, it just keeps on going. And then you wait, and you kind of get to that corner, and then you turn it oh, no, no, the line keeps going around this way. Looks it wraps around 50 more times, right? But do you think Simeon woke up every morning thinking, hmm, I wonder if today's the day. Is today the day I get to see the Lord? Is today the day that the Messiah will be before my very eyes? Is that him over there? Who was that that just went around the corner? Was that the Messiah? Every time somebody famous would get, you know, in whatever they call the Jerusalem Times or something, I don't know if they have newspapers, they'd be like, I wonder if this is the Messiah. This guy sounds pretty good. That rabbi had a pretty wise saying. I wonder if that's him. No, I don't think that's him. Every day, the expectation, the anticipation of seeing the Messiah. And then Simeon would lay his head down at night, positive he was not going to die in his sleep, and say, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow is the day. See, we don't know exactly when Simeon was told this, but if it's consistent with the way God does things throughout Scripture, he probably told him early on and then made Simeon wait for a long time. That seems to be the way God does it, right? He promised Abraham he would have a son. And then 25 years later fulfilled that promise. He told Noah that he would flood the earth and then dry it, and the rain stops, and Noah has to wait almost about a year before he can step foot off of the boat. Jacob had to wait. He wanted to marry Rachel, and so he worked for seven years, then gets tricked and marries her sister, and has to work another seven years to marry the one that he loves. Fourteen years engagement, if you want to call it that. That's a long time waiting. Joshua was promised to enter into the promised land, but had to wait 40 years to watch his countrymen die as they were walking in disobedience before he could enter into that promised land that God had given to them. God often makes these promises, and then there's a long season of waiting. I think God does this on purpose. Romans 5 may give us a small clue where it says, Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. See, this endurance is a patient waiting upon the Lord. Waiting on the Lord gives you an opportunity to show patience, to learn patience, to grow in your patience. It's no wonder that patience is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's an outworking of the Spirit's work in your life to show patience to wait on the promises of God. If God always just made a promise and then fulfilled it right away, we would never have an opportunity to practice that patience that God gives to us. God seems to build it into the way He orders the universe to make promises and then make us wait because it seems to be better for us when He does it that way. So Simeon waited. And again, we don't know how long he waited. But he waited. Waking up every day, looking for the Messiah. And then one day, the Holy Spirit again comes to Simeon and leads him to the temple. We don't know if he went there regularly, probably though. But today was a special day. He was going to the temple for a purpose. He was going, and he knew there was something different about today. And then from across the crowd, he sees Mary and Joseph, two people he's probably never met before. He doesn't know what their names are, but they have a baby. And the Holy Spirit stirs inside of them and says, There he is. There he is. The Messiah, the promised one, the king you've been waiting for. And so Simeon seems to rush over to Mary and Joseph. And and it sounds like he almost like does the the Lion King moment and takes the baby and just like, "Ah," Right? I think this is it. That's how I picture it anyway. It probably didn't happen that way. But Simeon is just overjoyed. Jesus is here. He's in front of me. I can hold him in my arms. This is the promised one of old. Finally, the wait is over. And he can say, Ha ha, today is the day. Today is the day. He had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's a fancy way of saying the comfort. To come for Israel to console someone is to comfort them in their distress. And this is what Simeon was waiting for. And the Apostle Paul later in 2 Corinthians 1 tells us that this is the God that we worship. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction." See, the Lord comforts us by sending us His Son, Jesus Christ. He sends His comforter, Jesus, to be with us. And this is what Simeon was waiting for, and it's who he was holding in his arms. The comfort of Israel. The comfort for the lost. The comfort for the wounded. The comfort for the broken. The comfort for the hurting and the weak. The comfort for you and the comfort for me. So Simeon holds Jesus in his arms and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. You can feel the weight of waiting fall off his shoulders. You can feel the release of anticipation. The anxieties dissipate. And he says, Lord, now I'm at peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. They have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See me in here, he can say, My heart is now full. My life is complete. My wait is over. So rejoice, for Jesus is our comfort. I love how it says that Mary and Joseph, they marveled at what Simeon said to them. You know, we got to put ourselves in their shoes for a minute here. We know kind of the whole story. They're living it moment by moment. They've had a visitation by the angel. But then, like, a lot of normal stuff happens after that. They go on some trips. They have a baby in a barn. Then some shepherds come in with some crazy news. And they're like, wow, this is just wild. But then they go back to normal life. They On the eighth day, have Jesus circumcised. And now, about a month after uh, Jesus is born, to do all the normal law-keeping things, they go to Jerusalem to offer different sacrifices. And you notice that they offered the uh, pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which tells us that they were pretty poor. They didn't have a whole lot. They couldn't even afford a lamb which here, this is kind of a different sermon for a different day, that if you feel often that you don't have enough money for tomorrow and you don't have two nickels to rub together, Jesus knows what that's like. He can relate and he is with you. But that's for a different day. But Mary and Joseph, they're just loving their baby. And they know that he's special. They know something's unique. But it seems to be their eyes are opened little by little By every new testimony, every additional person that comes in with something else to help clarify, even for Mary, what God is doing. And so here Simeon gives this message, and they're marveling at it. Wow, Jesus, my baby, he's going to do all of that? He's the comfort of Israel? You've been waiting for so long to see my baby, Jesus? And I think the joy of Simeon's heart spilled out into Mary and Joseph. Then Simeon does give them a little bit of a warning, which we're going to come back to in a little bit. But I want to first look at the testimony of another unlikely source. A woman named Anna, who was a widow Who, to be honest, probably lived a very difficult life. And yet she continued to wait for the Lord. We're told here that she was a prophetess. Which meant she shared the truth from the Lord. Not all prophets or prophetesses made predictions about the future. Some certainly did. But to be just a prophet meant you were speaking truth from the Lord. And she lived in a day when truth from the Lord was not all that well received. These are the same people that when Jesus, God himself, started speaking truth from the Lord, they crucified him for it. And here is a widow, a woman who lives alone, the outcasts of society. What right does she have to speak any truth from the Lord. in that Yet that's what Anna seems to do. Every day, every night in the temple. Worshipping God. Fasting and praying and crying out to the Lord. I wonder if Anna would recount these Old Testament stories. Maybe she would remember the story of Hosea. And could relate because Hosea lost his spouse to unfaithfulness and Anna lost her spouse to death. And Hosea, we hear the story of Hosea going and redeeming his wife. Buying her back for a great sum. Welcoming her, uh, her home and giving her a family once again. And Anna was waiting. Waiting for the Lord who is the only one who can come and redeem not just the unfaithful, but redeem the dead and bring those who are far from God back into his family and welcome them home. She also, I think, knew that her people had been unfaithful. Anna could see the unfaithfulness around her She knew they didn't deserve salvation any more than Gomer did, the wife of Hosea. But she also knew the truth of the Lord. She knew the truth that God is a God who saves. He is a God who redeems. He is a God of love. So I think that maybe, maybe Anna's psalm that she had circling in her mind during her hours of prayer and fasting was Psalm 130. And I could just hear her reciting this in the temple courts, crying out to God. Psalm 130, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel. From all his iniquities. And I think Anna would probably just say that over and over again and cry out to the Lord Lord, we are waiting for that redemption. Lord, we need a redeemer. Lord, we need you to come and rescue us, buy us back from our own sin, and give us life. And then one day in the temple, she sees him. She sees Jesus. Maybe she heard Simeon. That's the way I would say it. Simeon's just going crazy over here with a baby in his arms. And Anna wakes up from her prayer and says, Hey, what's going on over there? It's Him. It's our Redeemer. So rejoice. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is our comfort. And Jesus is our Redeemer. Her wait is over. Her life of fasting and prayer, night and day, crying out to the Lord. A life of loneliness, a life of solitude and sorrow, a life of broken expectations. Jesus appears and he changes everything. In front of her very eyes, he becomes the Lord who is the promise keeper where her expectations are now exceeded. Her solitude and sorrow turn to joy and thanksgiving. So she rejoices and she proclaims that Jesus is our Redeemer. So for our third point, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are waiting in one of those lines at an amusement park. It's your favorite roller coaster coming up. And I don't know how long you've been waiting in line, but just long enough that you're pretty annoyed. But you're in that line. But then it's your turn. And you're getting in. And then you pretend like you're still in line. You got the frown on your face. You're slumped down. And you're like, bleh. I don't even want to be on this ride anyway. Who cares? I'm so disgruntled. When you're waiting in line for the ride, and you finally get on the ride, don't act as if you're still waiting. Enjoy the ride, right? So here's our third point: rejoice and express your joy. Enjoy your joy. If something so silly have ever had to be said, it's gotta be said to us sinners who have a hard time enjoying our joy. But let's express it, and let's let others know. Let's let it be widespread that we are on the ride of our lives. Because Jesus is here. So Simeon, he sees his comfort, the comfort for all of Israel, and his heart is bursting because his wait is over. And what he doesn't do is just go sit quietly in the corner and die saying, well, I saw him, there he is. And then just goes and lays down. No, it just comes out of him. He holds the baby. He proclaims for all who would hear this good news. And he talks to the parents. And I can see just the joy on his face. He proclaims for all to hear that Jesus is The comfort. He is the light for the Gentiles. Jesus' salvation that he offers would extend outside the nation of Israel and reach throughout history all the way to you and I in this distant land in a different language. His joy for the comfort of Israel needs to continue to be shared to the world. Like we saw in the video at the beginning during the announcement. There are billions of people who have never heard the name Jesus or know the comfort that He offers. They don't even know that that exists, that there could be salvation for their souls, that Jesus has come and He can rescue even them. So our joy needs to be expressed to the world. There are people waiting in the line of life and they have no idea what happens at the end of the line. My prayer is that they would see us rejoicing on the ride of Jesus and say, hey, I want some of that. What's happening over there? That looks like life. And they would come and be saved. Because Jesus was not only born 2,000 years ago. Once He was a baby, then He grew, became an adult, lived Caught, did miracles, proved himself as the Lord, and showed love to all. And then he died in our place, paying for our sins, becoming our comfort and our Redeemer. And if we believe in him today, we know that he not only died, but he rose from the dead. And he's alive still today. As the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and from heaven's throne, he rules over all things. And so we can spread his joy to the nations. So let's not hide the fact that we're on this roller coaster of life with the Lord. Let's enjoy it so much that it invites others to come participate as well. And all that to be said, I think the roller coaster is a perfect illustration for life. Because even maybe on your favorite ride, there are those ups and downs On roller coasters. There are those moments, I don't know if you like roller coasters or not, but some of the best ones are the ones that they tip so far forward, they're actually like past 90 degrees, and it's at that moment that you think, okay, I've seen this ride go hundreds of times and nobody's fallen out yet, but this time... It's probably going to be me that the thing falls apart and we fall to our fiery death. But it's just maybe me that it's those moments of fear and anxiety and uncertainty kind of makes the ride exciting. Now in this life, in a much more serious note, it is full of ups and downs, isn't it? There are moments of following Jesus that you don't have a smile on your face. There are moments where you're tipped so far over, you think, oh, God has abandoned me. I, I, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't understand what's happening. There are sorrows and moments of brokenness and fear that we're saying, God, what, what are you doing? Where are we going? I don't understand. I don't get it. What's happening? And God knows that those moments exist. In fact, Jesus promised that you would have such a ride. That's what the sign says as you're in line waiting. Jesus said it himself in John 16, In this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise. You will have trouble. But take heart, he says. Take heart, I have overcome the world. See, even in our story, Simeon gives this ominous warning to Mary and Joseph. Saying, that this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. If somebody tells me that my soul is going to be pierced, that's not something I necessarily want to wait for. But imagine Mary watching and having to flee the country in not too many days from now, and then running and hiding for fear of their lives, then living in poverty most of her life probably, and then watching Jesus as a man go out and start a ministry, and yes, do some amazing miracles, but very quickly find opposition. And then being even confused at his message at times, where it seems like Mary is not so sure what Jesus is doing and planning. But she sticks with him, only to follow him back to Jerusalem, where our story takes place. To watch him be arrested, to watch him be beaten, and crucified, and die. To be at the graveside where they bury him. To be confused, to be broken hearted. That is the sword that pierces her soul. Jesus knew it was coming. Simeon knew it was coming. And in each and every one of our lives, we have those moments that come. There are those times where it seems like we would like to give up on waiting. We'd say, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. It doesn't feel like joy. I want to get off this ride. Jesus knows what that feels like. He was the one that was persecuted, maligned, misunderstood, and he eventually hung on the cross, not too distant from where Simeon is speaking. And he's the one that knows that our lives, if we follow him, will be marked with similar suffering. But we can say, like the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, how can Paul say that? How can we say that? Because remember the lesson from Simeon and Anna. Our waiting is over. Jesus is here. He is our life now. Even through the roller coaster of life, Jesus will never let us go. He will never fail us. And He will carry us all the way home. I like the illustration, again, of the roller coaster. Have you ever been on a roller coaster where people in front of you, are like putting their hands up, right? Doing the whole hands up. I love that posture. And it reminds me sometimes of when we're singing and there's people here that put their hands up in the air. It's just this surrender posture. Where they're on the roller coaster saying, Lord, if the seatbelt falls and fails or falls apart or this brace thing that's crushing my shoulders, if that snaps, I'm done for. Right? But how many of us, we hold on with a death grip? The things that we can try and hold on to in this life. And as that roller coaster's flying around at 50 miles an hour, we're thinking, I'm going to save myself. I'm going to hold on to this. I can keep us safe. Now, you know, if Jesus fails as your safety support, your hands are not going to be strong enough to hold you. So let's just let go. And let's enjoy the ride. So let's trust Jesus. In Colossians 1.17, it says that in him all things hold together. And Philippians 1.6 says he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. All we have to do now is trust in those promises. Jesus, you're going to hold this together. You're going to hold me in faith. You're going to hold me in your family. You've adopted me and you will not let me go. Lord, you are holding me. I trust in you. Put my hands up and I surrender. Jesus, you said you're faithful to complete the work you started in me. I don't know what you're doing here. I don't know how this is going to work for my good. I don't know what you're doing in my family, in my work, in this world. But Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I can't hold on any longer. And so I'm just going to enjoy being in your presence, knowing that you are God and that you are at work. And I'm going to show the world that I'm having a good time trusting in you And enjoying what you've given me. Not that I always have a smile. Not that I'm always laughing and celebrating. But through it all. Through all the ups and downs. My joy in the Lord never leaves. Because Jesus is our comforter. Because Jesus is our redeemer. And because Jesus is here even now with us. So we rest in that truth, and we invite others to join us in it. We say, join us in this joy. Trust in Christ today to be your Lord, to be your Savior, to be the source of your joy. And I invite you to come in with us as we enjoy this joy who is in front of us. And you know, there are some things that we're still waiting for. We're still waiting, even though sin has been defeated, we're waiting for it to be removed from our lives. So we're waiting for that. We're waiting for new glorified bodies, as many of us were facing ailments and struggles and broken bodies that seem to fall apart faster and faster. So we're waiting yet for those. But those are the highlights on the ride to come. That's not a new ride. It's the same life that Jesus gives us that we've started now. Those are things we're waiting for, but they're just additional joys further down the tracks. We still have joy today in Jesus because He is here now with us. So rejoice and spread your joy. Simeon saw the comfort of Israel and he rejoiced. Anna So the Redeemer for Israel and she rejoiced. May we see Jesus as our Redeemer and comfort and our Lord and our Savior. And may we rejoice. And may we rejoice in such a way that we invite others to join us in this joy as we live this roller coaster of life. Our waiting is over. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, first of all, for this amazing gift. You give us just these two little testimonies of just normal people living their lives, who you stepped into their life to make them part of your story, where they can experience this joy of seeing you, Jesus. Lord, we do not see you with our eyes today, but we see you by faith. And we know that just as you were there with Simeon and Anna, you are here with us even now. And Lord, you are still the same God of love, the God of comfort who comforts us in our affliction, the same God who redeems, who buys back all those who are lost and far from you. Lord, you are worthy to be praised. May we truly find our joy in you. And I pray a special prayer for those of us in this room or who hear my voice, who are at that tipping point in their ride where they feel like they may fly out. They're not so sure anymore of any of the promises you've made. Lord, would you comfort them in a unique way this morning? And would you remind them of your truth? And would you hold them even tighter? Lord, give them that assurance that you will never let them go and that your grip is sure. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word and for the truth that it reveals to us. May we leave here rejoicing in your presence. Amen.